Hey there, this is the Hello Personality Podcast, the place for curious and open people who want to take their personality type from a casual curiosity to a life-changing path for growth. I'm Leslie McDaniel, and this is Season 2, Episode 9. And in this episode, we've arrived at the Enneagram subtypes that we find in the head center on the Enneagram symbol. Now, if you're just joining me, I'd recommend going back and listening to Season 2, Episode 4, where I first go into more detail about the Enneagram instincts and what they are, and how they act without the influence of the passion of your Enneagram type. If you're not sure what an Enneagram passion is, though, I would also recommend checking out Episode 3 of this current season, which is Season 2. And lastly, if you're just now joining me, uh, you may want to listen to the first part of episode five if you're unfamiliar with the concept of the centers of intelligence. Okay, with all that taken care of, let's dive into the head center. The head center of intelligence consists of types five, six, and seven, and they can be found on the left side of the Enneagram symbol. As we've talked about with the body center in season two, episodes five and six, and the heart center in episodes seven and eight here in season two, your head center offers its own source of intelligence. And this is likely the center that you might automatically associate with the idea of intelligence. It is the most commonly accepted type of intelligence in many cultures, including my own, But I do feel like that's starting to change and we're gaining even more acceptance of the heart and body intelligence that we've already covered in the podcast. So when it comes to the Enneagram types that are located in the head center, five, six, and sevens, these types have more energy clustered in their head than in their belly or their heart. Let's look at what this means. The head types primarily experience the world through their heads. And this means they tend to engage in the world through their thoughts, their beliefs, their reasoning, and mental analysis. Being in the head center and having a lot of energy focused in their heads means that the types that are in the head center have an energy that naturally flows toward their thoughts, their beliefs, towards analysis, and that happens before emotions or her body sensations come into play. Being a head center type means that their understanding of the world comes through their minds. So they plan and come up with ideas and analyze and create systems and try to make sense of things logically. Since we see a lot of energy centered in our dominant center of intelligence, this means that this center dominates our approach to life. So for types five, six, and seven, This means that they'll spend a lot of their time and energy on the tasks of the mind that I've mentioned already. That is the mental analysis, logic, planning, and with their thoughts and beliefs. No matter which center of intelligence your Enneagram type is in, it'll cause you to give less attention to the other two centers. So for head types, this mental work comes at the expense of their heart and their emotions or their body and what their body sensations are telling them. Just like how the other centers prioritize their home base, the head center prioritizes the head over the heart or the body. And as you know, we've looked at each center of intelligence and we've talked about a core emotion for each. This core emotion can create issues for the Enneagram types in that center. So for the body center, that was anger. For the heart center, it was sadness. 
So what's the core emotion of the head center? It's fear. So all subtypes in the head center will have an interesting relationship with this emotion. Let's take a look at what this looks like for each subtype in this center. Let's start with type five. You know from season two, episode three, that the emotional passion or struggle for type five is called avarice. And that is a withholding of energy and resources for a fear of being overwhelmed or consumed if they don't focus on protecting their resources. And if you want to know more about that and the antidote, I talk about the passion of avarice in season two, episode three, and that's called Enneagram Passions and Virtues. As we look at the three subtypes of type five, remember that the dominant instinct and passion that motivates each subtype may be largely unconscious. So if you think you might be a type five or one of the other head types that we'll talk about today, you can use each description as a guide to try and self-reflect or self-observe these patterns in yourself. Okay, so starting out with this self-preservation type five, this is the subtype that is the most stereotypical type five. So in other words, when you think of a type five, if you know anything about the Enneagram, this is likely the subtype that you're thinking about. When you read a general description of type five, they're likely describing this particular subtype, the one that has the dominant self-preservation instinct for survival. So the self-pres five, as we would call it, is symbolized by SP5, and they basically have a double dose of this self-protective energy. The passion of avarice causes them to self-protect and preserve their energy. And this is also what the self-preservation instinct does. The self-press five uses strong boundaries and they will physically withdraw themselves to a safe place, maybe specifically their home, for example, to meet the needs of their passion and their dominant instinct. The core emotion of fear is what drives the passion of avarice and their need to protect their energy and other resources. The social five then has the social instinct as dominant. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that all social fives are very social and they love being around groups for long periods of time. No, they're still type fives, but in comparison to the other two type fives, this is likely more true. The social instinct has to do with a connection to a group for survival. And they are driven to know everything about their chosen topic of interest. And to be part of a very small group of people or experts on that same subject. So this group becomes like a special group to them and it's prioritized and elevated in their minds. The social five may actually be more social than the other two fives because of the social instinct, but this usually comes out when they are sharing their specialized knowledge or having intellectual type conversations about their subject of interest. The core emotion of fear for social fives comes from a fear of not knowing and not having a highly idealized level of knowledge about the universe and the meaning of life, for example. The sexual type five is the final subtype for type fives, and it is the counter type. So the sexual instinct for this subtype works with avarice in that they keep themselves from a wider array of connections and relationships because of their focus on finding one idealized connection. And they go against the passion of avarice because they're a countertype in their search for and connection with this person. They want to find the perfect person with whom they can be safe and connected and satisfied. 
Sexual fives have an extremely high bar for this person, and they require a very high level of trust and may require them to pass a lot of tests. Sexual fives are more passionate and emotional than the other two type fives, so they may not look very fiveish on the surface. But the core emotional fear is underneath this high bar that they have because it unconsciously keeps them from intimacy. Even though their sexual instinct drives them to find this idealized intimate relationship, it's combined with the passion of avarice, which makes them want to withhold. This is how the sexual instinct for the sexual five creates a flow of energy that goes against the passion as the countertype. So for all type fives then, the core emotion of fear is underneath their unconscious or conscious need to withhold and protect their resources. Their head intelligence helps them to analyze and plan for situations or people who may drain their energy. And it also drives their thirst for knowledge, which is another protective mechanism. How they respond to these different situations that may drain their energy depends on their dominant instinct. Let's move on to type six. The emotional passion of type six is fear. So they're motivated by what makes them safe, secure, and supported. And they do this by anticipating, preparing for, avoiding, or responding to fearful situations with a particular approach that depends on their dominant instinct for survival. So the self-preservation type six is the most stereotypical six, the one you've likely heard of and thought of when you think of type sixes. So not only does the type six have the core emotion of fear because they're in the head center, but the passion for type six is also fear. Add the self-preservation instinct as dominant and you have a very fearful type six in the self-preservation six. To find protection from others, they have a nice, warm, and friendly exterior. They may also depend on others to protect them, or they may run away from things that create too much fear. Because of their fear and doubt, they become very prepared for any and all contingencies. They experience a lot of doubt and this keeps them from moving forward many times. In the social six, you can see the combination of their dominant social instinct and the passion of fear in the ways that they find safety and security in an established authority or system or even a set of ideas or rules. The social six is very responsible, but it also feels responsible to take care of a group so that the group is safe and therefore, by its connection to it, the social six is also safe. Due to their fear and their focus on an establishment of some kind, they can be very legalistic or black and white. Social sixes compensate for anything that would create fear or anxiety by becoming more certain or more confident. And that certainty and confidence, of course, is based on their black and white nature of the established authority, system, or set of beliefs that they have. The final subtype for type sixes is the sexual six, which is the countertype for type six. This means that they go against the natural flow of the passion of fear, and they do this by being strong in the face of fear, even going toward fear as a way of mitigating it. As with all the other subtypes we've talked about, 
the fact that fear is driving the sexual six's reactions may be unconscious. So when something feels threatening, they will rise up and they may even attack. They may become aggressive or get angry and intimidating. The sexual instinct gives them a greater intensity in response to the fear, and they defend themselves with a display of strength. So for all type sixes, the core emotion and passion of fear both drive their behavior, but their response to fear is dependent on their dominant instinct for survival. As a head center type, they use their head energy to plan, prepare, and analyze situations to avoid fearful things. Okay, so let's take a look at the final head type, type seven. The passion for type seven is gluttony, which is an insatiable search for pleasurable, stimulating, or interesting experiences that will help them avoid pain. The particular approach a type seven uses for this passion depends on their dominant instinct. For the type seven subtype that has the dominant instinct of self-preservation or the self-pres seven, The passion of gluttony plays out through constantly looking for and taking advantage of good opportunities. And these opportunities will serve their need for pleasure, but also the safety and security that comes from their self-preservation instinct. This dominant instinct causes them to be more pragmatic than the other two type sevens. And they get their needs met through a network or alliance of trusted people that they build. The social seven is the countertype for this type. And as we've seen with all the countertypes, they go against the passion in a particular way. The dominant social instinct causes them to want to go against gluttony by being good and by serving others, especially by helping relieve others of their pain. Social sevens want to be good and they don't want to be selfish. So it may be hard to spot gluttony in this particular type seven. Even though they are service-oriented towards others, they're still more in touch with their own needs than, say, type 9 or 2. And there is an underbelly of gluttony under their desire to serve others in what they may receive in return for their service. The sexual 7 is the most stereotypical type 7 in that they're highly idealistic. And they're on the opposite end of the spectrum from the self-preservation 7, when it comes to being practical. So in other words, they're not very practical at all. They're very enthusiastic and optimistic, and this moves them further away from the reality of any pain that could be in their lives or in the world around them. They see things as how they could be rather than how they actually are. This optimism and intensity toward the positive comes from the sexual instinct combined with the passion of gluttony. And this subtype is more gullible and naive than the other two types of sevens because of their never-ending optimism. And that brings us to the end of the subtypes for types five, six, and seven, or the head types. Do you think you could be a head type? Or did you resonate more with one of the body types or the heart types in the previous episodes? This little series on the subtypes of each center of intelligence has been about helping you understand the role of your dominant instinct when it comes to combining with the passion of your core type and helping you to identify your own subtype if you're not already familiar with it. 
I also wanted to help you see how different two people of the same core type can be in their outward behavior, at least, all while having the same underlying core motivation. These subtypes I've described in the last few episodes help us to understand the differences in people of the same type much more than just using a wing that the person tends to use more. And if you're not familiar with this perspective or philosophy of the Enneagram, the wings are the numbers above and below your core type, your core Enneagram type. And when they combine a wing with a core type, some people will refer to that as a type of subtype. So someone might say they're a type seven with a six wing. But you can see from what we've talked about, the dominant instinct version of subtype helps us to really understand the differences on a much more nuanced level. If you want to use the Enneagram for deep growth and transformation, the subtypes that combine the dominant instinct and the passion really help you pinpoint your particular personality-related patterns of behavior. Increasing your awareness of these patterns helps you to understand what your specific path of growth looks like because it may be really different than someone of your same core type, but with a different subtype. But before we wrap up this series on the centers of intelligence, we have one more guest interview coming up in the next episode. Samantha Mackay is a coach and educator who is also a self-preservation type seven. So she'll share with us what it's like to be in the head center and what it's like to be a type seven. And we'll also talk about the impact of her self-preservation dominant instinct. In the meantime, if you have any questions about anything in season two or the Enneagram, I'd love to answer them on the final episode of this season that's coming up soon. You can submit your question at hellopersonality.com slash podcast in the little pop-up window that will appear on that page. And just a heads up, if you are listening to this episode much later than when it was originally published, that form may not be on that page or you may see a call for questions for a later season. Okay, so I'll see you in the next episode with my interview with Samantha. Take care. Mm -hmm.